Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from our senior pastor, Brian Bond. All right, good morning. A young married couple was approaching their first holiday season, and um, they decided to cook a ham. So the, the, the newlywed uh, wife went in there and measured exactly two inches on each end of the ham and sliced it off and threw it away. And the husband said, what are you doing? That's some of the best part of the ham. And she said, nope, that has to come off. That's the way my mom taught me to cook hams. That's the way her mom taught her. That's the way we're cooking it. So he was like, well, why? And she said, I don't know. That's just what I was taught. So anyway, the next holiday came around and, and she said, ask your mom why y'all do that. He says, well, I don't know. That's the way my mom taught me to cook hams is you cut two, two inches off each end and then you cook the ham. And so they went back to grandma because she was still alive and, and she asked her, why do we cook? Why do we cut two inches off the end of every ham? Why have we always done that? She said, well, that's because I had a small stove and that was the only way it would fit in the oven. <laughs> And, you know, it really got me thinking as I was studying this passage of Scripture about how there are certain things that get passed to, down to us, whether it's cultural, whether it's um, things that we believe. And there comes a point maybe in life where you find out something that you believed is not true or that it's changed or that it's not the way that it was. And, and how difficult it can be to get your mind around that, because some of those things you, you've have had a significant impact in your life. And Peter had one of those moments where God comes to him and tells him, shows him to go and bring the Gentiles or the, the gospel. And that was to us looking back now, we've got all the New Testament, all of Paul's teachings about it, and we can see things. It's easy to see 2020 going backwards. But the fact is that he had spent his whole life being taught do not associate with them. They are pagans. They are unclean. Don't eat with them. Don't go in their house. Don't be around them. And so all of a sudden, all that is different. And I want us to look and see how it is that God shows us his truth, how we can know it's his truth. And then I want to see, we're going to start out, uh, we're going to be in Acts 10 and 11 today, if you want to go ahead and turn there. But we're going to start out at the end of the story where Peter comes back to Jerusalem, and the Jewish Christians come to him and say, what are you doing, Peter? It's kind of a paraphrase, but that's what they said. And why are you going and eating? We heard you were eating dinner with the Gentiles. What are you doing going in their home? Why are you talking to them? And Peter explains it to him. And so we're going to start out in Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. And if you'd please stand and honor the reading of God's word. Soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. You entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them, they said. Then Peter told them exactly what had happened. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, at this point... The gospel has only gone to the Jews. All the apostles are Jews. All those who were there gathered in Jerusalem waiting for the Holy Spirit were Jews. All those that received, the whole, that received Christ on that first day after Pentecost, when Peter came out and preached the word of God to him, over 3,000, they were Jews. And so this is the first time where the gospel is taken to Gentiles. Now, it's gone to the Samaritans, and that was kind of a, a thought for, process for them, too, because... Um, they were taught to stay away from Samaritans too. 
And it was, it was a big deal that Jesus was going through uh, Samaria, uh, where the woman at the well comes out to him, and she goes, how is it that you, a Jew, are even speaking to me? And Jesus basically told her the plan of salvation. So, But at least they were half Jews, so maybe you get that. But now they're being told, Peter's being told to go and tell everyone. And this is a, 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 a world-altering moment for the Jews because it changed the way they thought about everything and everyone. And I want us to go through and see how it is when we hear something like that, something that challenges what we thought to be true. And there, there's two major ways where we err when it comes to the Scripture. And one is one that's very prevalent today, and that is that people try to say that the Word of God doesn't say what it really says. Well, that's not what it really meant. They try to water down the meaning or change the meaning or dismiss the meaning. And then the second thing, which is still prevalent today too, although not as much, is when we add to God's Word. You know, there are some things that we just really want to be true, that we really feel like these are right. You know, and you see sometimes people getting patriotism and Christianity mixed up together, and you can be both, but the fact of the matter is that nowhere in here does the Bible say we should all stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. Now, I think, I think you ought to stand, but I don't think you can say that as, hey, if you don't, it's a sin. Now, and we have to be careful about trying to make the Word of God say something just because we want it to. Hey, there are certain things that I wish I could point to Scripture and say, you can't do that just because I don't like them. I bet y'all have some too. Everybody has preferences. You know, when it comes to the way we worship, um, you know, we have a worship band. There's other people that do hymns or some people have organs. Um, some people do orchestras. And throughout history, I've noticed that people tend to pay, place a little bit more spiritual depth on the style that they like. But the fact is, there's no, there's no scriptural style of worship. There's nothing you go in there and say, well, you have to worship this way. This is the only way to do it. This is the only style, the only kind of music. Now, I believe the words need to be scriptural. I think they need to lead people in the presence. But I've also heard people like try to um, make it sound as though their preferred way of worship is somehow spiritually superior. And we can't, you can't make that work in the scripture. You might believe that, but you can't go, well, you know what, here's what it says and, and apply it where it does not apply. And so we have to be careful about where we apply things. And sometimes we can make up rules and add to them. And the Jews were famous for that. I mean, they, the, there are the Ten Commandments and there are uh, the laws in Leviticus and other places where God gives them regulations. But through the centuries, Jews had added tens of thousands of rules about what they could and could not do. Like, for instance, uh, um, you know, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And they weren't supposed to work on that day. And the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had come up with all these different things. Like if you had... Um, you know, they were supposed to tithe and, and you know how, and this can be a thing again, where people raise like spices, where they get dill and, and different things that they use in cooking. And the Pharisees would say, well, if you, you take a leaf off and you're going to eat with it, then you should cut a 10th of that leaf off and put it in the, in the plate at the, at the temple, which I'm sure some priest was really excited about opening up and getting a little bit of leaf, a you know, don't be putting plants in the 
offering boxes, all right? We, just, we don't want plants, okay? So, but they had also come up with this thing, you know, that if, well, if you were thirsty on the Sabbath day, you could drink a thing of water, but if you picked up a pitcher and poured water, that would be considered work and you've now violated God's laws. These are people that had apparently no, lots of time on their hands and nothing to do because they had all these laws about everything. And they had added to God's laws about staying separate from those who were not Jews when they went into the promised land. God said, I don't want you intermingling. I don't want you marrying them. And they had added all these different laws to it to where it became not only a scriptural thing, but it also became a cultural thing. And so when that changes with Peter, it is a huge cultural shift for them is it changes the way they see Jews and the way that they see people that are non-Jews or Gentiles. See, it went from, hey, these people are unclean. You need to stay away from them. Don't associate with them at all. Don't eat with them. Don't go in their homes because they're dirty. To, they're part of your family. They're brothers and sisters. Now, being a Gentile, as most of us are, or nearly all, whatever, we look back now and that seems crazy to us in some ways. But that's what they'd been taught. That's the way they'd lived their entire lives. And so how do you change or how do you look at something when you hear it and it's new and then determine, okay, is this, is this right? Is this God's word? Well, there's some ways we can look at and see. Because you'll hear all kinds of people say, well, this is true. I got this new revelation or whatever. So how do you determine what's true and what's not true? First thing you do is the witness of God's word. You look in God's word. And when God came to Abraham in the very beginning, that's where the covenant began. That was the beginning of what was going to happen down the road, that, that all nations were going to be uh, brought into the kingdom of God at some point. And in the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 22, <clears throat> this is actually the second time, and he said in the first time too, where God comes to Abraham and he says, look, I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number, like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies, and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you've obeyed me. So even in the beginning, God said all the, the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through Christ. That's what he's talking about, is the blessing is going to come in the form of a Savior. And then it says in Psalm 22, 27 through 28, the whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him. All the families of the nations will bow down before him for royal power belongs to the Lord. He rules all the nations. And so scattered throughout the Old Testament are these verses that talk about how someday all the nations are going to be made one and all are going to have an opportunity for salvation through the Messiah that is to come. Um, there are places in the Old Testament where it talks about, and even in the law, to where people that are called sojourners or from other places can come and be grafted in to the nation of Israel. They had to be circumcised. They had to follow God's law. And there might be some restrictions, but they were there. And as a matter of fact, um, the Rahab, she was a harlot that took in and hid the spies in Jericho and made them promise that when they destroyed Jericho, they would not destroy her and her family. And so they, they told her to put a scarlet cord in her window. That was a foreshadowing of the blood of Jesus. It was also a reminder of the Passover. But she put this scarlet cord in there and they passed over and did not 
kill her family like God told them to do, everybody in the town. And so she became part of the nation of Israel. She was grafted in. And in Luke, we even see that she's one of the ancestors of Jesus. She becomes part of his legal lineage through being grafted into the children of Israel. So that happened throughout time. Jesus, even though he, he initially resisted, he acknowledged the faith of those who were, were Gentiles. The centurion, where he, where he healed his servant, the woman that came to him that was um, a, a Gentile whose child was sick, and he healed her and talked about both of their faiths and, and lifted them up as an example. And so even though the, the gospel came to the Jews first, they were meant to be God's great evangelists. They were a royal priesthood, and now we are. And, and their job was to share the gospel throughout the earth. So the first witness is the word of God. Then Jesus himself testified. It says in Luke chapter 28, verses 32, um, his parents brought him in on the eighth day to be circumcised in the temple. And there was a priest there named Simeon who had asked God, God had promised him that he would not die until he saw the salvation of Israel or the Messiah. And it says in Luke 22, 20, 28 through 32, it says Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. And so Simeon prophesied about what Jesus was to do. He was going to be a light to reveal God to all the nations, and he was coming for salvation for everyone. It says, Jesus said in John 10, 16, he says, I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. And there will be one flock with one shepherd. So Jesus testified about the fact that the Gentiles were going to be brought in. And in Acts 11, in part of his defense, when they asked him what he was doing there, Peter responds. He says, I began to speak, Peter continued. The Holy Spirit fell on them, just as he fell on us at the beginning. Then I thought of the Lord's words when he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So you have the word of God. Then you have the Son of God who both testify to what is going to happen. And then you have the witness of the vision. It, it, two men had a vision about this. Not only did Peter have one, but Cornelius. And Cornelius is where it starts in Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. So he believed in, the, in the, the God of the Hebrews even before, okay? He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. Now, why would Cornelius stand at him in terror? Because the little pictures we have, you know, with the little fat babies with the little pipes with wings flopping around is not the angels of the Bible, all right? The angels in Scripture are mighty, awesome, awe-inspiring warriors. And any time they appeared to someone, they were struck with fear. So it's not like these angels come along and it's not like, you know, they just flit around. Hey, I got something for you. I mean, these are angels, all right? 
It talks about in, in Daniel that um, when the angel appeared to Daniel after he'd been praying, he said, I came at your prayer, but the enemy resisted him. And so he had to call on the archangel Michael to come. And, you know, he was like Thor, you know, in the movies, whatever. He came in and they broke through and were able to get to Daniel. But they are warriors. They fight for the things of God and fight for us. And so he was terrified. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. So that you can almost get a little poem out there, can you? Simon who lives by the seashore. But here's something I want you to see. When God reveals truth, he wants you to know what it is. Now, are there times that people can help you to understand? Yeah, there were times Philip jumped in and, and helped the, the uh, Ethiopian eunuch to understand the words in Isaiah that he was reading because he knew the gospel. He knew Jesus. Are there times that we need to go and explain things? Absolutely. But here's something I want you to know is when God gives the truth, he will back up his truth with witnesses. It's his principle and his law from the Old Testament that by the testimony of two or three, a thing shall be established. And he says it over and over again. Our courts still follow it. That just because one person says you did something, that's not enough to convict somebody. You got to have corroborating evidence. You got to have more than one witness. And that's still true. And that comes from the Old Testament because God said, hey, before something you accepted is true, you need to have two or three witnesses. And so, so far, God has already proven, shown the witness of the word from the Old Testament. Now we have the witness of the New Testament. Then he gives the witness of Jesus himself, God's son. And now we have this witness of this vision that of an angel that Cornelius is having. And the, the clear, the thing that's cool about this is he didn't just say, hey, go to a place and find some dude. He gave him city street and address. I mean, it's as clear as you can get, isn't it? It's not like they wandered around like, well, I don't know where to go. You go to Joppa, you go down by the seashore, you ask where Simon the Tanner lives. You go up to that house, you say, hey, is there somebody here named Simon Peter? They knew exactly where to go and exactly who to get. God made it crystal clear. Wasn't any guesswork. There wasn't like some, we're going to send you on a quest and you got to, you know, like in the movies, figure out this clue and that clue to figure out what God wants. God's word is clear and it is knowable. People, well, you know, you just can't know God's will. You can't know about this or that. Well, you know what? You can, you can know God's will, first of all, by eliminating a lot of things. You know, if, well, should I, you know, I want to get married. Should I marry somebody of my sex? No, the Bible says that's wrong. Should I just move in with them? No, the Bible says that's wrong. Should I marry somebody that doesn't know Jesus? No, nope, the Bible says do not be yoked with unbelievers. So you've now narrowed everything down. All right. And the problem is people don't want to be narrowed down. They want to, oh, I want to do whatever. I mean, love is love and I'm in love, blah, blah, blah. Hey, you want to make a good decision. Let God's word narrow down the decision. And then God will make it clear to you. You know, one of the things that never made sense to me was all my parents would tell me, well, you'll just know. And I talked to godly people. How am I going to know when I meet the right one? Well, you'll just know. That made zero sense to me. I was like, what, what does that mean? And then I met the woman that was to be my wife, and I just knew. 
See, it, it, it will happen. God wants you to know. He wants you to know his will. And so you don't sit out there thinking, well, I don't know what it is, so I guess God doesn't want me to know. Well, he may not want you to know yet, but here's the deal. Don't stray off into areas he said don't to go, go to until you know. And when the time comes, you will know. He'll make his will clear to you. And there will be witnesses to his will. You know, when I, when I met my wife, she had a list. My list was like, find a girl that loves Jesus that'll agree to marry you. I mean, that was kind of it. No, I'm just kidding. I'm joking. But, I mean, I, I met her and I'm like, no way. Well, well, I mean, I'm this way over my head. But I outkicked my coverage. Y'all know that. But anyhow, she had a list. And part of her list was, you know, in those days when you went to school, everything was alphabetical. Y'all remember that? And it, her name was Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T. And on her list, she literally had, she wanted to marry somebody who was close to the alpha, front of the alphabet because she didn't want her kids sitting in the back all the time. Bond, pretty close, all right? She wanted somebody who was tall. Here I am, 6'5". I am 6'5", by the way. You know how many people tell me, when, I'm, when I meet them somewhere, they go, you know, you look, I didn't know you were that tall. I, I, from, I didn't sing you. I didn't, I didn't, I'm six five. All right. Give me, give me, I want every inch of it. I got a kid trying to chase me down from behind and I'm hanging with what I got. So God wants you to know what his will is. He wanted Peter to know, Hey, this is from me. So as soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and devout soldier and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants, he told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. So he sends three servants after him. That's important. Now, the reason he's going to Peter is because Peter is the one who's been given the keys to unlock the gospel to different people groups. He goes, if you remember at Pentecost, he goes out and preaches after the Holy Spirit comes on him. 3,000 people are saved. The gospel is given to, to all of Israel in that moment. It's opened up to them, whether they accept it or not. The next thing that happened, somebody went up to um, Samaria, and those were the half-Jews. They were ones that, that had intermarried with other nations, and so they were rejected from the kingdom of Israel, but they're still half-Jews, and so they received the gospel. And so Peter went up and laid hands on them, and then the Holy Spirit came down. The reason that was important was because Peter had been given the keys of the kingdom in Matthew 16, 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. So he opened the door of the gospel to the Samaritans. Peter's the one who had to do it. And so now that's why Cornelius is sending somebody. God has Cornelius send for Simon Peter. And so in Acts 11, 5 through 10, this is where he's testifying to the other Jews about why he went in and gave the gospel to the Gentiles. He says, I was in the town of Joppa, he said, and while I was praying, I went into a trance and saw a vision. Something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners from the sky, and it came right down to me. When I looked inside the sheet, I saw all sorts of tame and wild animals, reptiles and birds. And I heard a voice say, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, I replied, I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. But the voice from heaven spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. Now, there was a time where God said, don't eat of these foods. Don't associate with these people. They're unclean. They're, they're far from me. But now God's saying he's made it clean. 
He's saying you can eat, eat whatever you want. That's why, I mean, aren't you glad we were born in the days of pork barbecue? I'd have been, that'd been a bummer if you didn't, if you'd never had pork barbecue, you done missed out on something, brother. I'm telling you, I'm glad I'm in the days where pork's cool. So he told him all those things. All right. And then this happened three times. Why is three times before the sheet and all it contained was pulled back to heaven? So it's important to remember there's the witness of this vision. The vision comes to first to Cornelius, and then a vision also comes to Peter. And it comes to Peter because Peter's the one that has to unlock the gospel to the Gentiles. All right. Now, it says in Acts 11, 11 through 12, just then three men who'd been sent from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were staying. Now, there were probably a lot of reasons why God showed him the vision three times. But God's a God of details. Three men show up to get him. All right? Three, three times the vision happened, three men show up to get him. The Holy Spirit told me to go with them and not to worry that they were Gentiles. So now you have the testimony of the Word of God, the testimony of Jesus himself, the testimony of the vision, and now you have the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so now you got four witnesses. The Bible, God says you got to have at least three, but you got four because God tends to overdo things. He wants you to know that you know that you know. All right. So the Holy Spirit says, go with them, which for a Jew would have been a non-starter because they weren't supposed to go. That's why God gave him the vision before about having made things that used to be unclean, clean. And so God opens the door to him. And then immediately on the heels of that, you notice it said, just then, just then. So God gives him the vision, and then boom, three Gentile dudes show up at the front door looking for him. And he doesn't even live there. He's just visiting. And he, so he's like, man, what do I, the Holy Spirit said go. So then he says, these six brothers here accompanied me, and soon we entered the home of the man who had sent for us. And so he goes to this home and he listens to what Cornelius tells him about the vision that he got. The, the vision just said, go get this man. He's got something to tell you. He doesn't know what it is. He doesn't know what it's about. He's trusting God just like Peter is. And so after he tells him in Acts 10, 34 through 36, then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And so at that point, Peter gives the whole gospel. And he talks about Jesus. And he talks about who he is. And see, here's that, that, that verse where it talked about, we have a part in this as believers now, where it talked about, you know, the things that are, that are uh, given in, on earth will be given in heaven, and things that are forbidden on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And here's, here's the deal. Here's where we have a part in that. Whenever we share the gospel with someone, and they're brought, our, our job, our responsibility is to share the gospel and bring them to a place. Now, I'm saying we don't force them, but when you hear the truth, you have to make a, you have to make a decision. And here's the thing, when we give them the gospel, because it says, how will, they, how will they know if they've not heard? Then we're unlocking for them an opportunity to be saved. 
And so that's what's being unlocked and offered. If they choose not to, then they, they're forbidden. They're not, they're not in relationship with God. They're not going to, you don't know Jesus, you don't go to heaven. Okay? But it's unlocked to them when we give them the gospel. That's what we do, is unlock to them an opportunity to be saved. That's what Peter does now for the Gentiles when he gives them the gospel. And he says, he makes it clear, it's for them. And one of the testimonies of the truth of it is the changed life of those who believe. Now, the testimony about what God says that those who don't know Christ will experience full judgment, that will still come. That's pending. But here's the deal. When you see someone and they, their, their life's been changed by Jesus, that's another witness and another proof. That's where we're all witnesses. Ultimately, we can all witness to the change that happened in our life. You know what? Here's what my life was like before I knew Jesus. Then I met Jesus, and here's what my life is like now. We're bearing witness to the truth of the gospel. Now, that's not enough. Don't get me wrong. My testimony is not enough to prove something is true. But when you take my testimony and your testimony with the Word of God, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit then you have a, a, a group of witnesses that testify to the truth of who Christ is. And so salvation is one of the witnesses. And so here's the deal. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. Now remember, it already said that Cornelius and his family believed God. They followed him, even though they were not Jews. They trusted God. Cornelius prayed to him. He and his whole household already believed in God, but now they've been invited to believe Jesus and to trust him and have a relationship with him and to be saved. And so here's, here's the, 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 one of the neat parts about that. You know, if you remember, the Samaritans didn't receive the Holy Spirit until Peter came and laid hands on them. That's because he had to unlock the door. And there was in those days... At the beginning of the church, when the Holy Spirit came upon somebody, everybody knew it. Because that was another way that God put his stamp of approval and let people know, hey, this is from me. So the same thing that happened to them at Pentecost now happens to the Gentiles. All right? And it happened, and this is the pattern from this point on. That point in, in um, uh, Samaria, where Peter came and, and laid his hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit, that was a dispensation just for the Samaritans. And now this is the pattern by which people are saved. The moment you believe, the Holy Spirit enters. These are people that already believe God, and now they're understanding what they believed God for. And the moment they hear it, they believe it. And the moment they believe it, the Holy Spirit enters into them. So the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed because they just didn't think this was part of the, they didn't know. They didn't recognize. They were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. Sorry, man, allergies, I got a dry, dry, dry throat. Anybody else? Y'all know there ain't going to be no allergies in heaven. I'm excited about that. So how did, they, how did they know the Holy Spirit had been poured out on them? For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Not unknown tongues, but speaking in other languages, just as they did back in Jerusalem. 
And so the sign of the presence of God is there, just like it was on them at Pentecost, and just like it was on the Samaritans when Peter and the apostles laid their hands on the Samaritan believers. So God's testifying again, these people are saved. They have the Holy Spirit in them just like you do. And so there's sign after sign. You know, when God chose to do it the way he did at Pentecost, y'all wait here for 40 days, and then the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. And so they waited around for 40 days. The Holy Spirit came on them. It, it opened the door for all the is, Israelites. And then the same thing happens in Samaria, and now it happens here. So they know and they see now that this is of God. Then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Afterward, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. And so this next part is one of the most amazing, to me, verses in all of Scripture. And I'm, you know, when I say that, it's just one that really strikes me. Because here's, here's what it says. And so Peter is answering when they ask him, what are you doing? We heard you were in staying in Gentiles' homes. It says, and since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? And you see, that's, there's, there's one thing there I want you to see is whether you choose to deny that part of God's word is really God's word or whether you choose to add to it and make something that you want it to say clearly, pretend like something does when it doesn't, in both ways you're standing in God's way. And so we need to be careful. And then it says, when the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. Do you, I want you to just get that for a minute. Somebody has just walked into a room and told you that the way you have lived your life by being separate and not having anything to do with these people and staying away from them and, and you, your whole life's been about, hey, we're the God's chosen people. God loves us. He doesn't love them. He don't care about them. He loves us. All that is flipped upside down and in a moment, they stop objecting and begin praising God. That just amazes me. Because you know what? I know when I have something that I believe is true, and maybe I passionately believe it is true, and somebody tells me I'm wrong, I will argue and fight to the very bitter end. How about you? Anybody else? Now, sometimes it turns out I'm wrong, and even when it turns out I'm wrong, I have a hard, I'll, I'll feel, well, but... I have a hard time. And it amazes me that these people that their whole lives, they were taught by their parents, by everybody, just like they were the generation before them. And the gener this goes back generations. And they're willing to recognize God's truth and just flip to the other side. They said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. 
You know, it's easy for us to look at it now and kind of take all that for granted, but to just put yourself for a moment in the places of those people that have been taught something their whole lives, and now they realize something different. But you know what? That's how we're supposed to look at the, the Word and the will of God. You know, God didn't give us the Bible so that when we so that we could look up stuff and prove to other people that they're wrong. <laughs> Nowhere in there to say that. You know, I, I've been guilty of doing that. The Bible's given to show us what truth is. And when we approach the Word of God, we have to do it with the, the understanding whatever this says is true. And if I feel differently about it, or I don't like it, or I don't want it to be that way, or I've even been taught something different, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change what's really true. And the best way in life is to accept what is true. And I know that sounds overly simple, but it's, it's just the truth. And the thing is that God's given witness to his word and he's given witness to the truth. And you know what the other part? There's things in here that aren't in here that I wonder why they're not. But when they're not, I'm not going to argue about them. I'm not going to try to make it sound like it's in there when it's not. I don't get to, to pass judgment and say, well, it may not say that, but it's still wrong. It's still a sin. I got to be really careful about that. We all do. Because when we get in opposition to the truth of God's word, or we add something that's not there, or we try to take away something that is, we're standing in God's way. There are things I don't understand. There's things I wish were different. There's things I wish were spelled out that aren't. There's things that I'm like, why didn't you put this in here? But if it's not in there, it's not for me to argue about. It's for me to just share the truth of God's word. We can see. We have to have eyes that are open to see the truth. And you know, that can be just as difficult for you when you've followed Christ for a number of years or you're brand new or you're right before you haven't followed Jesus. It can be hard to see the truth. You know, the other, the, <laughs> I wish I could tell you that from that moment on, there was never a controversy about trying to, to argue about the law versus grace, but there was. Matter of fact, even Peter fell tempt temptation to it later on and started treating, you know, avoiding the Gentiles because he was trying to reach Jews. And Paul had to come and confront him about it. And he said, you know what? You're right. See, all of us, we can get pulled back into what we're comfortable with, what we know, what we're used to. You ever seen somebody that gets out of a bad situation and then jumps right back into a situation just like the one they got out of? Because that's our nature. And we got to fight that nature sometimes and receive truth. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? If you're here and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, if you've never 
confessed him as your Savior and Lord, we want to give you the opportunity to do that today. See, this is a moment, this is a day when the truth and the gospel are unlocked for you. And I, I can't promise you about tomorrow, but I know right now it's, it's open for you. And so here's the thing, here's what it takes, is everyone, you, you have to admit that you're a sinner and ask forgiveness of your sins. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we, we all have to do that. The second thing we got to do is we got to believe that Jesus is God's son. That he died on the cross in our place for our sins. And that he rose on the third day. And the third thing it says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So, if you'd like to know that your sins are forgiven, if you'd like to know that you're in right relationship with God, and if you'd like to know that that's going to be forever, that you will be his son or his daughter forever in heaven for all eternity, I want to invite you to pray just a simple prayer of salvation with me. You can repeat these words after me, or you can pray in your own words. Just pray them in your heart. God will hear you either way. But pray them with me right now. Dear God in heaven, thank you for loving me, and thank you for Jesus. God, I know I've sinned. I turn from my sin and turn to you and ask forgiveness for all that I've done. I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe he rose on the third day, according to scripture. So today, I trust Jesus as my savior. And I confess him as my Lord. Now, without anybody looking around, if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, Here's all I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to look up at me right now. I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you. But I want you to look up at me right now and keep looking until I see you. Okay. All right. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for each of us. And I want to encourage you if you made that decision today or you have in recent weeks and you haven't talked to anyone yet, there's a number you can text to on the screen. There's a QR code there. It's also in your bulletin. You can look at it later on if you want. But let somebody know, and we would love to sit down and talk with you, whether it's on the phone or in person, and answer any questions and also talk to you about the next steps in following Jesus. We would love to hear from you. We're not going to ask anything from you. We just want to help you. So right now, I want to pray for those that have made a decision today to trust Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for those who've come to faith in you today. And Father, I pray that you would continue, Lord, to speak clearly through your word by your spirit. I pray that you would lead them to the right church, whether that's here or somewhere else, to the place where they can grow in their walk and in their knowledge with you. And Father, I thank you for what you did for us so that we might be saved.
Lord, we pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.